Section 7 of Father Goriot by Honoré Balzac Translated by Ellen Marriage This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 7 Devil take me, I'm sure, if I have a glimmer of a notion of what I am about, but I will obey you, he added, with inward exultation as he thought. She has gone too far to draw back. She can refuse me nothing now. Eugene took the dainty little purse, inquired the way of a second-hand clothes-dealer, and hurried to number nine, which happened to be the nearest gaming-house. He mounted the staircase, surrendered his hat, and asked the way to the roulette-table, whither the attendant took him, not a little to the astonishment of the regular comers. All eyes were fixed on Eugene as he asked, without bashfulness, where he was to deposit his stakes. If you put a louis on one only of those thirty-six numbers, and it turns up, you will win thirty-six louis, said a respectable-looking, white-haired old man in answer to his inquiry. Eugene staked the whole of his money on the number twenty-one, his own age. There was a cry of surprise before he knew what he had done. He had won. "'Take your money off, sir,' said the old gentleman. "'You don't often win twice running by that system.' Eugene took the rake that the old man handed to him, and drew in his three thousand six hundred francs, and, still perfectly ignorant of what he was about, staked again on the red. The bystanders watched him enviously as they saw him continue to play. The disc turned, and again he won. The banker threw him three thousand six hundred francs once more. "'You have seven thousand two hundred francs of your own,' the old gentleman said in his ear. "'Take my advice and go away with your winnings. Red has turned up eight times already. If you are charitable, you will show your gratitude for sound counsel by giving a trifle to an old prefect of Napoleon who is down on his luck.' rastignac's head was swimming he saw ten of his louis pass into the white-haired man's possession and went downstairs with his seven thousand francs he was still ignorant of the game and stupefied by his luck so that is over now where will you take me he asked as soon as the door was closed and he showed the seven thousand francs to madame de nucingen delphine flung her arms about him but there was no passion in that wild embrace you have saved me she cried and tears of joy flowed fast i will tell you everything my friend for you will be my friend will you not i am rich you think very rich i have everything i want or i seem as if i had everything very well you must know that monsieur de nucingen does not allow me the control of a single penny he pays all the bills for the house expenses he pays for my carriages and opera box he does not give me enough to pay for my dress and he reduces me to poverty in secret on purpose i am too proud to beg from him i should be the vilest of women if i could take his money at the price at which he offers it do you ask how i with seven hundred thousand francs of my own could let myself be robbed it is because i was proud and scorned to speak we are so young so 
artless when our married life begins i never could bring myself to ask my husband for money the words would have made my lips bleed i did not dare to ask i spent my savings first and then the money that my poor father gave me then i ran into debt marriage for me is a hideous farce i cannot talk about it let it suffice to say that nucingen and i have separate rooms and that i would fling myself out of the window sooner than consent to any other manner of life i suffered agonies when i had to confess to my girlish extravagance my debts for jewellery and trifles for our poor father had never refused us anything and spoiled us but at last i found courage to tell him about them after all i had a fortune of my own nucingen flew into a rage he said that i should be the ruin of him and used frightful language i wished myself a hundred feet down in the earth he had my dowry so he paid my debts but he stipulated at the same time that my expenses in future must not exceed a certain fixed sum and i gave way for the sake of peace and then she went on i wanted to gratify the self-love of someone whom you know he may have deceived me but i should do him the justice to say that there was nothing petty in his character but after all he threw me over disgracefully if at a woman's utmost need somebody heaps gold upon her he ought never to forsake her that love should last for ever but you at one and twenty you the soul of honour with the unsullied conscience of youth will ask me how a woman can bring herself to accept money in such a way mon dieu it is not natural to share everything with the one to whom we owe our happiness when all has been given why should we pause and hesitate over a part money is as nothing between us until the moment when the sentiment that bound us together ceases to exist were we not bound to each other for life who that believes in love foresees such an end to love you swear to love us eternally how then can our interests be separate you do not know how i suffered to-day when nucingen refused to give me six thousand francs he spends as much as that every month on his mistress an opera dancer i thought of killing myself the wildest thoughts came into my head there have been moments in my life when i have envied my servants and would have changed places with my maid it was madness to think of going to our father and is daisy and i have bled him dry our poor father would have sold himself if he could have raised six thousand francs that day i should have driven him frantic to no purpose you have saved me from shame and death i was beside myself with anguish ah monsieur i owed you this explanation after my mad ravings when you left me just now as soon as you were out of sight i longed to escape to run away where i did not know half the women in paris lead such lives as mine they live in apparent luxury and in their souls are tormented by anxiety i know of poor creatures even more miserable than i there are women who are driven to ask their tradespeople to make out false bills women who rob their husbands some men believe that an indian shawl worth a thousand louis 
only cost five hundred francs others that a shawl costing five hundred francs is worth a hundred louis there are women too with narrow incomes who scrape and save and starve their children to pay for a dress i am innocent of these base meannesses but this is the last extremity of my torture some women will sell themselves to their husbands and some obtain their way but i at any rate am free if i chose nucingen would cover me with gold but i would rather weep on the breast of a man whom i can respect ah to-night monsieur de marsay would no longer have a right to think of me as a woman whom he has paid she tried to conceal her tears from him hiding her face in her hands eugene drew them away and looked at her she seemed to him sublime at that moment it is hideous is it not she cried to speak in a breath of money and affection you cannot love me after this she added the incongruity between the ideas of honour which make women so great and the errors in conduct which are forced upon them by the constitution of society had thrown eugene's thoughts into confusion he uttered soothing and consoling words and wondered at the beautiful woman before him and at the artless imprudence of her cry of pain you will not remember this against me she asked promise me that you will not ah madame i am incapable of doing so he said she took his hand and held it to her heart a movement full of grace that expressed her deep gratitude i am free and happy once more thanks to you she said oh i have felt lately as if i were in the grasp of an iron hand but after this i mean to live simply and to spend nothing you will think me just as pretty will you not my friend keep this she went on as she took only six of the banknotes in conscience i owe you a thousand crowns for i really ought to go halves with you eugene's maiden conscience resisted but when the baroness said i am bound to look on you as an accomplice or as an enemy he took the money it shall be a last stake in reserve he said in case of misfortune that was what i was dreading to hear she cried turning pale oh if you would that i should be anything to you swear to me that you will never re-enter a gaming-house great heaven that i should corrupt you i should die of sorrow they had reached the rue saint lazare by this time the contrast between the ostentation of wealth in the house and the wretched condition of its mistress dazed the student vautrin's cynical words began to ring in his ears seat yourself there said the baroness pointing to a low chair beside the fire i have a difficult letter to write she added tell me what to say say nothing eugene answered her put the bills in an envelope direct it and send it by your maid why you are a love of a man she said ah see what it is to have been well brought up that is the beauxion through and through she went on smiling at him she is charming thought eugene more and more in love he looked round him at the room there was an ostentatious character about the luxury a meretricious taste in the splendour do you like it she asked as she rang for the maid 
therese take this to monsieur de marsay and give it into his hands yourself if he is not at home bring the letter back to me therese went out but not before she had given eugene a spiteful glance dinner was announced rastignac gave his arm to madame de nucingen she led the way into a pretty dining-room and again he saw the luxury of the table which he had admired in his cousin's house come and dine with me on opera evenings and we will go to the italiens afterwards she said i should soon grow used to the pleasant life if it could last but i am a poor student and i have my way to make oh you will succeed she said laughing you will see all that you wish will come to pass i did not expect to be so happy it is the want of women to prove the impossible by the possible and to annihilate facts by presentiments when madame de nucingen and rastignac took their places in her box at the bouffons her face wore a look of happiness that made her so lovely that every one indulged in those small slanders against which women are defenceless for the scandal that is uttered lightly is often seriously believed those who know paris believe nothing that is said and say nothing of what is done there eugene took the baroness's hand in his and by some light pressure of the fingers or a closer grasp of the hand they found a language in which to express the sensations which the music gave them it was an evening of intoxicating delight for both and when it ended and they went out together madame de nucingen insisted on taking eugene with her as far as the pont neuf he disputing with her the whole of the way for a single kiss after all those that she had showered upon him so passionately at the palais royal eugene reproached her with inconsistency that was gratitude she said for devotion that i did not dare to hope for but now it would be a promise and will you give me no promise ingrate he grew vexed then with one of those impatient gestures that fill a lover with ecstasy she gave him her hand to kiss and he took it with a discontented air that delighted her i shall see you at the ball on monday she said as eugene went home in the moonlight he fell to serious reflections he was satisfied and yet dissatisfied he was pleased with an adventure which would probably give him his desire for in the end one of the prettiest and best dressed women in paris would be his but as a set-off he saw his hopes of fortune brought to nothing and as soon as he realized this fact the vague thoughts of yesterday evening began to take a more decided shape in his mind a check is sure to reveal to us the strength of our hopes the more eugene learned of the pleasures of life in paris the more impatient he felt of poverty and obscurity he crumpled the banknote in his pocket and found any quantity of plausible excuses for appropriating it he reached the rue nouvre saint genevieve at last and from the stairhead he saw a light in goriot's room the old man had lighted a candle and set the door ajar lest the student should pass him by and go to his room without telling him all about his daughter to use his own expression eugene accordingly told him everything without reserve 
then they think that i am ruined cried father goriot in an agony of jealousy and desperation why i have still thirteen hundred livres a year mon dieu poor little girl why did she not come to me i would have sold my rents she should have had some of the principal and i would have bought a life annuity with the rest my good neighbor why did you come to tell me of her difficulty how had you the heart to go and risk her poor little hundred francs at play this is heart-breaking work you see what it is to have sons-in-law oh if i had hold of them i would wring their necks mon dieu crying did you say she was crying with her head on my waistcoat said eugene oh give it to me said father goriot what my daughter's tears have fallen there my darling delphine who never used to cry when she was a little girl oh i will buy you another do not wear it again let me have it by the terms of her marriage contract she ought to have the use of her property to-morrow morning i will go and see derville he is an attorney i will demand that her money should be invested in her own name i know the law i am an old wolf i will show my teeth here father this is a bank-note for a thousand francs that she wanted me to keep out of our winnings keep them for her in the pocket of the waistcoat goriot looked hard at eugene reached out and took the law student's hand and eugene felt a tear fall on it you will succeed the old man said god is just you see i know an honest man when i see him and i can tell you there are not many men like you i am to have another dear child in you am i there go to sleep you can sleep you are not yet a father she was crying and i have to be told about it and i was quietly eating my dinner like an idiot all the time i who would sell the father son and holy ghost to save one tear to either of them an honest man said eugene to himself as he lay down upon my word i think i will be an honest man all my life it is so pleasant to obey the voice of conscience perhaps none but believers in god do good in secret and eugene believed in a god the next day rastignac went at the appointed time to madame de beauseant who took him with her to the duchesse de carigliano's ball the marechal received eugene very graciously madame de nucingen was there delphine's dress seemed to suggest that she wished for the admiration of others so that she might shine the more in eugene's eyes she was eagerly expecting a glance from him hiding as she thought this eagerness from all beholders this moment is full of charm for you who can guess all that passes in a woman's mind who has not refrained from giving his opinion to prolong her suspense concealing his pleasure from a desire to tantalize seeking a confession of love in her uneasiness enjoying the fears that he can dissipate by a smile in the course of the evening the law student suddenly comprehended his position he saw that as the cousin of madame de beauseant he was a personage in this world he was already credited with the conquest of madame de nucingen and for this reason was a conspicuous figure he caught the envious glances of other young men 
had experienced the earliest pleasures of coxcombry people wondered at his luck and scraps of these conversations came to his ears as he went from room to room all the women prophesied his success and dalphine in her dread of losing him promised that this evening she would not refuse the kiss that all his entreaties could scarcely win yesterday rastignac received several invitations his cousin presented him to other women who were present women who could claim to be of the highest fashion whose houses were looked upon as pleasant and this was the loftiest and most fashionable society in paris into which he was launched so this evening had all the charm of a brilliant debut it was an evening that he was to remember even in old age as a woman looks back upon her first ball and the memories of her girlish triumphs the next morning at breakfast he related the story of his success for the benefit of father goriot and the lodgers vautrin began to smile in a diabolical fashion and do you suppose cried that cold-blooded logician that a young man of fashion can live here in the rue neuvre saint genevieve in the maison vauquet an exceedingly respectable boarding-house in every way i grant you but an establishment that none the less falls short of being fashionable the house is comfortable it is lordly in its abundance it is proud to be the temporary abode of a rastignac but after all it is the rue neuvre saint genevieve and luxury would be out of place here where we only aim at the purely patricalorama if you mean to cut a figure in paris my young friend vaudrin continued with half paternal jocularity you must have three horses a tilbury for the mornings and a closed carriage for the evening you should spend altogether about nine thousand francs on your stables you would show yourself unworthy of your destiny if you spent no more than three thousand francs with your tailor six hundred in perfumery a hundred crowns to your shoemaker and a hundred more to your hatter as for your laundress there goes another thousand francs a young man of fashion must of necessity make a great point of his linen if your linen comes up to the required standard people often do not look any further love and the church demand a fair altar-cloth that is fourteen thousand francs i am saying nothing of losses at play bets presents it is impossible to allow less than two thousand francs for pocket-money i have led that sort of life and i know all about these expenses add the cost of necessaries next three hundred louis for provender a thousand francs for a place to roost in well my boy for all these little wants of ours we had need to save twenty-five thousand francs every year in our purse or we shall find ourselves in the kennel and people laughing at us and our career is cut short good-bye to success and good-bye to your mistress i am forgetting your valet and your groom is christophe going to carry your billet doux for you do you mean to employ the stationery you use at present suicidal policy hearken to the wisdom of your elders he went on his bass voice growing louder at each syllable 
either take up your quarters in a garret live virtuously and wed your work or set about the thing in a different way vautrin winked and leered in the direction of mademoiselle taliffet to enforce his remarks by a look which recalled the late tempting proposals by which he had sought to corrupt the student's mind several days went by and rastignac lived in a whirl of gaiety he dined almost every day with madame de nucingen and went wherever she went only returning to the rue neuve saint genevieve in the small hours he rose at midday and dressed to go into the bois with delphine if the day was fine squandering in this way time that was worth far more than he knew he turned as eagerly to learn the lessons of luxury and was as quick to feel its fascination as the flowers of the date palm to receive the fertilizing pollen he played high lost and won large sums of money and at last became accustomed to the extravagant life that young men lead in paris he sent fifteen hundred francs out of his first winnings to his mother and sisters sending handsome presents as well as the money he had given out that he meant to leave the maison vauquet but january came and went and he was still there still unprepared to go one rule holds good for most young men whether rich or poor they never have money for the necessaries of life but they have always money to spare for their caprices an anomaly which finds its explanation in their youth and in the almost frantic eagerness with which youth grasps at pleasure they are reckless with anything obtained on credit while everything for which they must pay in ready money is made to last as long as possible if they cannot have all that they want they make up for it it would seem by squandering what they have to state the matter simply a student is far more careful of his hat than of his coat because the latter being a comparatively costly article of dress it is in the nature of things that a tailor should be a creditor but it is otherwise with the hatter the sums of money spent with him are so modest that he is the most independent and unmanageable of his tribe and it is almost impossible to bring him to terms the young man in the balcony of a theatre who displays a gorgeous waistcoat for the benefit of the fair owners of opera glasses has very probably no socks in his wardrobe for the hosier is another of the genus of weevils that nibble at the purse this was rastignac's condition his purse was always empty for madame vauquet always full at the demand of vanity there was a periodical ebb and flow in his fortunes which was seldom favourable to the payment of just debts if he was to leave that unsavoury and mean abode where from time to time his pretensions met with humiliation the first step was to pay his hostess for the month's board and lodging and the second to purchase furniture worthy of the new lodgings he must take in his quality of dandy a course that remained impossible rastignac out of his winnings at cards would pay his jeweller exorbitant prices for gold watches and chains and then to meet the exigencies of play would carry them to the pawnbroker that discreet and forbidding-looking friend of youth but when it was a question of paying for board or lodging 
or for the necessary implements for the cultivation of his elysian fields his imagination and pluck alike deserted him there was no inspiration to be found in vulgar necessity in debts contracted for past requirements like most of those who trust to their luck he put off till the last moment the payment of debts that among the bourgeoisie are regarded as sacred engagements acting on the plan of mirabeau who never settled his baker's bill until it underwent a formidable transformation into a bill of exchange it was about this time when rastignac was down on his luck and fell into debt that it became clear to the law student's mind that he must have some more certain source of income if he meant to live as he had been doing but while he groaned over the thorny problems of his precarious situation he felt that he could not bring himself to renounce the pleasures of this extravagant life and decided that he must continue it at all costs his dreams of obtaining a fortune appeared more and more chimerical and the real obstacles grew more formidable his initiation into the secrets of the nucingen household had revealed to him that if he were to attempt to use his love affair as a means of mending his fortunes he must swallow down all sense of decency and renounce all the generous ideas which redeem the sins of youth he had chosen this life of apparent splendour but secretly gnawed at the canker worm of remorse a life of fleeting pleasure dearly paid for by persistent pain like le distrait by la bruere he had descended so far as to make his bed in a ditch but also like le distrait he himself was uncontaminated as yet by the mire that stained his garments so we have killed our mandarin have we said biancon one day as they left the dinner-table not yet he answered but he is at his last gasp the medical student took this for a joke but it was not a jest eugene had dined in the house that night for the first time for a long while and had looked thoughtful during the meal he had taken his place beside mademoiselle taliffet and stayed through the dessert giving his neighbor an expressive glance from time to time a few of the boarders discussed the walnuts at the table and others walked about the room still taking part of the conversation which had begun among them people usually went when they chose the amount of time that they lingered being determined by the amount of interest that the conversation possessed for them or by the difficulty of the process of digestion in the winter time the room was seldom empty before eight o'clock when the four women had it all to themselves and made up for the silence previously imposed upon them by the preponderating masculine element this evening vautrin had noticed eugene's abstractedness and stayed in the room though he had seemed to be in a hurry to finish his dinner and go all through the talk afterwards he had kept out of sight of the law student who quite believed that vautrin had left the room he now took up his position cunningly in the sitting-room instead of going when the last boarders went he had fathomed the young man's thoughts and felt that a crisis was at hand rastignac was in fact in a dilemma which many another young man must have known madame de nucingen might love him or 
might merely be playing with him but in either case rastignac had been made to experience all the alterations of hope and despair of genuine passion and all the diplomatic arts of the parisienne had been employed on him after compromising herself by continually appearing in public with madame de beauseant's cousin she still hesitated and would not give him the lover's privilege which he appeared to enjoy for a whole month she had so wrought on his senses that at last she had made an impression on his heart if in the earliest days the student had fancied himself to be master madame de nucingen had since become the stronger of the two for she had skilfully roused and played upon every instinct good or bad in the two or three men comprised in a young student in paris this was not the result of deep design on her part nor was she playing a part for women are in a manner true to themselves even through their grossest deceit because their actions are prompted by a natural impulse it may have been that delphine who had allowed this young man to gain such an ascendancy over her conscious that she had been too demonstrative was obeying a sentiment of dignity and either repented of her concessions or it pleased her to suspend them it is so natural to a parisienne even when passion has almost mastered her to hesitate and pause before taking the plunge to probe the heart of him to whom she entrusts her future and once already madame de nucingen's hopes had been betrayed and her loyalty to a selfish young lover had been despised she had good reason to be suspicious or it may have been that something in eugene's manner for his rapid success was making a coxcomb of him had warned her that the grotesque nature of their position had lowered her somewhat in his eyes she doubtless wished to assert a dignity he was young and she would be great in his eyes for the lover who had forsaken her had held her so cheap that she was determined that eugene should not think her an easy conquest and for this very reason he knew that de marsay had been his predecessor finally after the degradation of submission to the pleasure of a heartless young rake it was so sweet to her to wander in the flower-strewn realms of love that it was not wonderful that she should wish to dwell a while on the prospect to tremble with the vibrations of love to feel the freshness of the breath of its dawn the true lover was suffering for the sins of the false this inconsistency is unfortunately only to be expected so long as men do not know how many flowers are mown down in a young woman's soul by the first stroke of treachery whatever her reasons may have been delphine was playing with rastignac and took pleasure in playing with him doubtless because she felt sure of his love and confident that she could put an end to the torture as soon as it was her royal pleasure to do so eugene's self-love was engaged he could not suffer his first passage of love to end in a defeat and persisted in his suit like a sportsman determined to bring down at least one partridge to celebrate his first feast of st hubert the pressure of anxiety his wounded self-love his despair real or feigned drew him nearer and nearer to this woman 
all paris credited him with this conquest and yet he was conscious that he had made no progress since the day when he saw madame de nucingen for the first time he did not know as yet that a woman's coquetry is sometimes more delightful than the pleasure of secured possession of her love and was possessed with helpless rage if at this time when she denied herself to love eugene gathered the springtide spoils of his life the fruit somewhat sharp and green and dearly bought was no less delicious to the taste there were moments when he had not a sou in his pockets and at such times he thought in spite of his conscience of vautrin's offer the possibility of fortune by a marriage with mademoiselle tolefay poverty would clamour so loudly that more than once he was on the point of yielding to the cunning temptations of the terrible sphinx whose glance had so often exerted a strange spell over him poiret and mademoiselle michonneau went up to their rooms and rastignac thinking that he was alone with the women in the dining-room sat between madame vauquet and madame couture who was nodding over the woollen cuffs that she was knitting by the stove and looked at mademoiselle tarifay so tenderly that she lowered her eyes can you be in trouble monsieur eugene victorine said after a pause who has not his troubles answered rastignac if we men were sure of being loved sure of a devotion which would be our reward for the sacrifices which we are always ready to make then perhaps we should have no troubles for answer mademoiselle tallifet only gave him a glance but it was impossible to mistake its meaning you for instance mademoiselle you feel sure of your heart to-day but are you sure that it will never change a smile flitted over the poor girl's lips it seemed as if a ray of light from her soul had lighted up her face eugene was dismayed at the sudden explosion of feeling caused by his words ah but suppose he said that you should be rich and happy to-morrow suppose that a vast fortune dropped down from the clouds for you would you still love the man whom you loved in your days of poverty a charming movement of the head was her only answer even if he were very poor again the same mute answer what nonsense are you talking you two exclaimed madame vauquet never mind answered eugene we understand each other so there is to be an engagement of marriage between monsieur le chevalier eugene de rastignac and mademoiselle victorine tallifet is there the words were uttered in vautrin's deep voice and vautrin appeared at the door as he spoke oh how you startled me madame couture and madame vauquet exclaimed together i might make a worse choice said rastignac laughing vautrin's voice had thrown him into the most painful agitation that he had yet known no bad jokes gentlemen said madame couture my dear let us go upstairs madame vauquet followed the two ladies meaning to pass the evening in their room an arrangement that economized fire and candlelight eugene and rotrin were left alone i felt sure you would come round to it said the elder man with the coolness that nothing seemed to shake but stay a moment i have as much delicacy as anybody else don't make up your mind on the spur of the moment 
you are a little thrown off your balance just now you are in debt and i want you to come over to my way of thinking after sober reflection and not in a fit of passion or desperation perhaps you want a thousand crowns there you can have them if you like the tempter took out a pocket-book and drew thence three bank-notes which he fluttered before the student's eyes eugene was in a most painful dilemma he had debts debts of honour he owed a hundred louis to the marquis d'ajuda and to the count de Trailles. he had not the money and for this reason had not dared to go to madame de Rostaud's house where he was expected that evening it was one of those informal gatherings where tea and little cakes are handed round but where it is possible to lose six thousand francs at whist in the course of a night you must see said eugene struggling to hide a convulsive tremor that after what has passed between us i cannot possibly lay myself under any obligation to you quite right i should be sorry to hear you speak otherwise answered the tempter you are a fine young fellow honourable brave as a lion and as gentle as a young girl you would be a fine haul for the devil i like youngsters of your sort get rid of one or two more prejudices and you will see the world as it is make a little scene now and then and act a virtuous part in it and a man with a head on his shoulders can do exactly as he likes amid deafening applause from the fools in the gallery ah a few days yet and you will be with us and if you would only be tutored by me i would put you in the way of achieving all your ambitions you should no sooner form a wish than it should be realized to the full you should have all your desires honours wealth or women civilization should flow with milk and honey for you you should be our pet and favourite our benjamin we would all work ourselves to death for you with pleasure every obstacle should be removed from your path you have a few prejudices left so you think that i am a scoundrel do you well monsieur de touraine quite as honourable a man as you take yourself to be had some little private transactions with bandits and did not feel that his honour was tarnished you would rather not lie under any obligations to me eh you need not draw back on that account vautrin went on and a smile stole over his lips take these bits of paper and write across this he added producing a piece of stamped paper accepted the sum of three thousand five hundred francs due this day twelve month and fill in the date the rate of interest is stiff enough to silence any scruples on your part it gives you the right to call me a jew you can call quits with me on the score of gratitude i am quite willing that you should despise me to-day because i am sure that you will have a kindlier feeling towards me later on you will find out fathomless depths in my nature enormous and concentrated forces that weaklings call vices but you will never find me base or ungrateful in short i am neither a pawn nor a bishop but a castle a tower of strength my boy what manner of man are you cried eugene were you created to torment me why no i am a good-natured fellow 
who is willing to do a dirty piece of work to put you high and dry above the mire for the rest of your days do you ask the reason for this devotion all right i will tell you that some of these days a word or two in your ear will explain it i have begun by shocking you by showing you the way to ring the changes and giving you a sight of the mechanism of the social machine but your first fright will go off like a conscript's terror in the battlefield you will grow used to regarding men as common soldiers who have made up their minds to lose their lives for some self-constituted king times have altered strangely once you could say to a bravo here are a hundred crowns go and kill monsieur so-and-so for me and you could sup quietly after turning someone off into the dark for the least thing in the world but nowadays i propose to put you in the way of a handsome fortune you have only to nod your head it won't compromise you in any way and you hesitate tis an effeminate age eugene accepted the draft and received the banknotes in exchange for it well well come now let us talk rationally vautrin continued i mean to leave this country in a few months time for america and set about planting tobacco i will send you the cigars of friendship if i make money at it i will help you in your career if i have no children which will probably be the case for i have no anxiety to raise slips of myself here you shall inherit my fortune that is what you may call standing by a man but i myself have a liking for you i have a mania too for devoting myself to some one else i have done it before you see my boy i live in a loftier sphere than other men do i look on all actions as means to an end and the end is all that i look at what is a man's life to me not that he said and he snapped his thumbnail against his teeth a man in short is everything to me or just nothing at all less than nothing if his name happens to be poiret you can crush him like a bug he is flat and he is offensive but a man is a god when he is like you he is not a machine covered with a skin but a theatre in which the greatest sentiments are displayed great thoughts and feelings and for these and these only i live a sentiment what is that but the whole world in a thought look at father goriot for him his two girls are the whole universe they are the clue by which he finds his way through creation well for my own part i have fathomed the depths of life there is only one real sentiment comradeship between man and man pierre and joffier that is my passion i know venice preserved by heart have you met many men plucky enough when a comrade said let us bury a dead body to go and do it without a word or plaguing him by taking a high moral tone i have done it myself i should not talk like this to just everybody but you are not like an ordinary man one can talk to you you can understand things you will not dabble about much longer among the tadpoles in these swamps well then it is all settled you will marry both of us carry our point mine is made of iron and will never soften he he vautrin went out he would not wait to hear the student's repudiation he wished to put eugene at his ease 
he seemed to understand the secret springs of the faint resistance still made by the younger man the struggles in which men seek to preserve their self-respect by justifying their blameworthy actions to themselves he may do as he likes i shall not marry mademoiselle taliffet that is certain said eugene to himself he regarded this man with abhorrence and yet the very cynicism of vautrin's ideas and the audacious way in which he used other men for his own ends raised him in the student's eyes but the thought of a compact threw eugene into a fever of apprehension and not until he had recovered somewhat did he dress call for a cab and go to madame de Rostaud's. for some days the countess had paid more and more attention to a young man whose every step seemed a triumphal progress in a great world it seemed to her that he might be a formidable power before long he paid messieurs de Troyes and d'ajuda played at whist for part of the evening and made good his losses most men who have their way to make are more or less fatalists and eugene was superstitious he chose to consider that his luck was heaven's reward for his perseverance in the right way as soon as possible on the following morning he asked vautrin whether the bill he had given him was still in the other's possession and on receiving a reply in the affirmative he repaid the three thousand francs with a not unnatural relief everything is going on well said vautrin but i am not your accomplice said eugene i know i know vautrin broke in you are still acting like a child you are making mountains out of molehills at the outset two days later poiret and mademoiselle michonneau were sitting together on a bench in the sun they had chosen a little frequented alley in the jardin des plantes and a gentleman was chatting with them the same person as a matter of fact about whom the medical student had not without good reason his own suspicions mademoiselle this monsieur gondreau was saying i do not see any cause for your scruples his excellency monseigneur the minister of police yes his excellency is taking a personal interest in the matter said gondreau who would think it probable that poiret retired clerk doubtless possessed of some notions of civic virtue though there might be nothing else in his head who would think it likely that such a man would continue to lend an ear to this supposed independent gentleman of the rue des bouffons when the latter dropped the mask of a decent citizen by that word police and gave a glimpse of the features of a detective from the rue de jerusalem perhaps the following remarks from the hitherto unpublished records made by certain observers will throw a light on the particular species to which poiret belonged in the great family of fools there is a race of quill drivers confined in the columns of the budget between the first degree of latitude a kind of administrative greenland where the salaries begin at twelve hundred francs to the third degree a more temperate zone where incomes grow from three to six thousand francs a climate where the bonus flourishes like a half-hardy annual in spite of some difficulties of culture a characteristic trait that best reveals the feeble narrow-mindedness of these inhabitants of petty officialdom 
is a kind of involuntary mechanical and instinctive reverence for the grand lama of every ministry known to the rank and file only by his signature and illegible scrawl and by his title his excellency monseigneur le ministre five words which produce as much effect as the il bondo corni of the caliph de baghdad five words which in the eyes of this low order of intelligence represent a sacred power from which there is no appeal the minister is administratively infallible for the clerks in the employ of the government as the pope is infallible for good catholics something of this peculiar radiance invests everything he does or says or that is said or done in his name the robe of office covers everything and legalizes everything done by his orders does not his very title his excellency vouch for the purity of his intentions and the righteousness of his will and serve as a sort of passport and introduction to ideas that otherwise would not be entertained for a moment pronounce the words his excellency and these poor folk will forthwith proceed to do what they would not do for their own interests passive obedience is as well known in a government department as in the army itself and the administrative system silences consciences annihilates the individual and ends give it time enough by fashioning a man into a vice or a thumbscrew and he becomes part of the machinery of government wherefore monsieur gondreau who seemed to know something of human nature recognized poiret at once as one of those dupes of officialdom and brought out for his benefit at the proper moment the deus ex machina the magical words his excellency so as to dazzle poiret just as he himself unmasked his batteries for he took poiret and michonneau for the male and female of the same species if his excellency himself his excellency the minister ah that is quite another thing said poiret you seem to be guided by this gentleman's opinion and you hear what he says said the man of independent means addressing mademoiselle michonneau very well his excellency is at this moment absolutely certain that the so-called vautrin who lodges at the maison bouquet is a convict who escaped from penal servitude at toulon where he is known by the nickname trompe les morts trompe les morts said poiret dear me he is very lucky if he deserves that nickname well yes said the detective they call him so because he has been so lucky as to not lose his life in the very risky businesses that he has carried through he is a dangerous man you see he has qualities that are out of the common the thing he is wanted for in fact was a matter which gained him no end of credit with his own set then he is a man of honour asked poiret yes according to his notions he agreed to take another man's crime upon himself a forgery committed by a very handsome young fellow that he had taken a great fancy to a young italian a bit of a gambler who has since gone into the army where his conduct has been unexceptionable but if his excellency the minister of police is certain that m vautrin is the trompe la mort 
why should he want me asked mademoiselle michonneau oh yes said poiret if the minister as you have been so obliging as to tell us really knows for a certainty certainty is not the word he only suspects you will soon understand how things are jacques collin nicknamed trompe la is in the confidence of every convict in the three prisons he is their man of business and their banker he makes a very good thing out of managing their affairs which want a man of mark to see about them ha ha do you see the pun mademoiselle asked poiret this gentleman calls himself a man of mark because he is a marked man branded you know this so-called vautrin said the detective receives the money belonging to my lords the convicts invests it for them and holds it at the disposal of those who escape or hands it over to their families if they leave a will or to their mistresses when they draw upon him for their benefit their mistresses you mean their wives remarked poiret no sir a convict's wife is usually an illegitimate connection we call them concubines then they all live in a state of concubinage naturally why these are abominations that his excellency ought not to allow since you have the honour of seeing his excellency you who seem to have philanthropic ideas ought really to enlighten him as to their immoral conduct they are setting a shocking example to the rest of society but the government does not hold them up as models of all virtues my dear sir of course not sir but still just let the gentleman say what he has to say dearie said mademoiselle michonneau you see how it is mademoiselle gondreau continued the government may have the strongest reasons for getting this illicit hoard into its hands it amounts up to something considerable by all that we can make out trompe la mort not only holds large sums for his friends the convicts but he has other amounts which are paid over to him by the society of the ten thousand ten thousand thieves cried poiret in alarm no the society of ten thousand is not an association of petty offenders but of people who set about their work on a large scale they won't touch a matter unless there are ten thousand francs in it it is composed of the most distinguished of the men who are sent straight to the assize court when they come up for trial they know the code too well to risk their necks when they are nabbed colin is their confidential agent and legal adviser by means of the large sums of money at his disposal he has established a sort of detective system of his own it is widespread and mysterious in its workings we have had spies all about him for a twelvemonth and yet we could not manage to fathom his games his capital and his cleverness are at the service of vice and crime this money furnishes the necessary funds for a regular army of blackguards in his pay who wage incessant war against society if you can catch trompe la mort and take possession of his funds we should strike at the root of this evil so this job is a kind of government affair a state secret and likely to redound to the honour of those who bring the thing to a successful conclusion 
you sir for instance might very well be taken into a government department again they might make you secretary to a commissary of police you could accept that post without prejudice to your retiring pension mademoiselle michonneau interposed at this point with what is there to hinder trompe la morte from coming off with the money oh said the detective a man is told off to follow him everywhere he goes with orders to kill him if he were to rob the convicts then it is not quite as easy to make off with a lot of money as it is to run away with a young lady of family besides collin is not the sort of fellow to play such a trick he would be disgraced according to his notions you are quite right sir said poiret utterly disgraced he would be but none of all this explains why you do not come and take him without more ado remarked mademoiselle michonneau very well mademoiselle i will explain but he added in her ear keep your companion quiet or i shall never have done the old boy ought to pay people handsomely for listening to him trompe la morte when he came back here he went on aloud slipped into the skin of an honest man he turned up disguised as a decent parisian citizen and took up his quarters in an unpretending lodging-house he is cunning that he is you don't catch him napping then monsieur vautrin is a man of consequence who transacts a good deal of business naturally said poiret to himself and suppose that the minister were to make a mistake and get hold of the real vautrin he would put every one's back up against the business men in paris and public opinion would be against him monsieur le prefet de police is on slippery ground he has enemies they would take advantage of any mistake there would be a fine outcry and fuss made by the opposition and he would be sent packing we must set about this just as we did about the coignard affair the sham comte de saint helene if he had been the real comte de saint helene we should have been in the wrong box we want to be quite sure what we are about End of section 7